Hey everybody, it's Scott Shetler and welcome to the Strength and Health Podcast. This episode's topic is all about strength. I want to take a minute and thank everybody who's reached out after I dropped my first episode last week and provided feedback. The feedback's been great and I'm looking forward to getting this podcast series up and running as well as getting some good guests on here in the future. But for the first couple of episodes, I want to focus each episode on one of the tenets of that, that make up a strength and health program or a strength and health practice. In this this episode, I want to focus mainly on strength training because that tends to be one of the biggest issues that people uh, like to talk about. They like to talk about different lifting programs and, and uh, strength training. So I figured I'd make this episode the first one. And I want to start out by defining what strength is. The academic definition, which is I'm, I'm going to take from Vladimir, Vladimir Zatsyorsky's book, The Science and Practice of Strength Training, uh, Zatsyorsky defines strength as the ability to generate maximum, maximorum external force, which is basically peak force and usually indicated by a capital F with two lowercase m's uh, when you're looking at academic works. But I'm a big fan of uh, Zatsyorsky's book, The Science and Practice uh, of Strength Training. That should be on any trainer or any strength coach's bookshelf. Tons of great information in here. But again, his definition of, of strength is the ability to generate basically peak force or maximum, maximum external force. So if we take that concept, the goal of a strength training program is to progressively get stronger. And that's displayed by having more weight on the bar during various lifts that we're going to use as indicators uh, to display strength. So if, uh, if the weight's going up on the bar, we're getting stronger. It's, it's that simple. However, I think we also need to to uh, define what strength means for different individuals. A high-level athlete, it may mean one thing, and to, to a uh, strength enthusiast who's not a, a competitive athlete or competing in a strength sport, it could mean something else. So I, I think before you begin a strength training program, it's really important to kind of quantify uh, your goals and figure out what it is you're trying to accomplish through, through your strength training. Obviously, athletes are going to be in in different situation than the typical strength enthusiast because there's different factors in our lives that affect our ability to get stronger. If you're a competitive athlete or or if you're a pro and you're able to devote all your time to training and preparing for competition, you're going to be able to do things that somebody who works a full-time job or has a family or can only get to the gym a couple times a week, you're going to be able to do a lot more to facilitate strength development than just a, uh, a regular strength enthusiast or a general fitness enthusiast. So it's really important first to define what your goals are and, and realistically where you are at as an individual. So moving on, I want to talk about the ways to develop muscular tension. And I, I want to borrow this from Zatsyorsky's book again, because I, I want to talk about programming for a second here too. But Zatsyorsky states that there's three ways to develop muscular tension. And there's three different methods that he refers to in the book, Science and Practice of Strength Training. One is the maximal effort method. And basically the maximal effort method is lifting of a load that is near a maximum. So that's typically a load that's 90% or greater of a one rep max. So basically if you're able to lift 200 pounds in the bench press, anything over 180 or over is going to be considered maximal effort work. All right. So we're talking about a high level of intensity or a high degree of intensity, uh, a high load on the bar. And typically 
the maximal effort uh, lifts or, or the maximal effort method allows for about one to two, maybe three repetitions per set. So it's very, very heavy loads are lifted. And what the maximal effort method does is it develops inter and intramuscular coordination. Uh, it, it's kind of training at the, the nervous system level. All right, so we're focused more on big compound movements when we're doing when we're utilizing the maximal effort method. It's typically going to be utilized with exercises like squats, with deadlifts, bench presses, things that big multi-joint compound movements. The second method that he talks about is the dynamic effort method, which is basically lifting or throwing uh, submaximal weights. So the dynamic effort method uh, uh, with a high rate of force production. Okay, so it's it's moving submaximal weights very very quickly. The focus of the dynamic effort method is maximal force production, or how fast we can get muscle fibers to contract to create a movement. Uh, typical exercises utilizing the dynamic effort method would be things like medicine ball throws, various jumps, uh, various barbell weight exercises done with with submaximal weights where you're focused on moving the bar very rapidly. Uh, a, a great example of the dynamic effort method, uh, as Louis Simmons from the Westside Barbell Club, if you follow his work, they like to do a lot of their dynamic effort work with accommodating resistance, which is where they attach uh, devices that allow for uh, contrast in the load being lifted, mainly bands or chains attached to the bar, so that as they're moving the barbell through a, a certain range of motion, the weight either gets lighter or heavier depending on where they're at in, through the performance of the lift. For instance, if you were going to squat and you had some heavy chains hanging from the bar, when you drop down into the hole of the squat, the chain is going to load up on the ground and deload the bar by a certain amount of weight. Then it's going to reload as you stand up. Now, if you've done a barbell squat, you know that you, you're at your weakest when you're in the hole or you're down in the bottom position. You're at your strongest when you're near the lockout. So by, by attaching heavy chains to the bar, as you lower into that weaker position, the bar will deload as that chain piles up on the floor. And then as you stand up and you get into a stronger joint angle, the chain's going to load and reload and reload, progressively getting heavier, forcing you to accelerate through the entire range of the motion. So it's going to help prevent bar deceleration as you get to the easier point of the lift. Uh, it's also done with heavy bands. Same principle, except the bands provide a... Uh, an overspeed eccentric, meaning that as you drop down into the squat or you lower the bar in the bench press, the band is going to shrink and actually pull the bar down if you've got the appropriate amount of tension on the band, that is. And then as you stand up, that band is going to stretch, creating more load on the bar. So the bands are another form, a very popular form of accommodating resistance. Uh, again, that's just an example of the dynamic effort method, but generally put the dynamic effort method is is throwing or lifting of submaximal weights with the focus on rate of force production so you're trying to develop a high rate of force when you're utilizing the dynamic effort method the third method that zatsiorski talks about is the repeated effort method this is basically performing multiple repetitions with a submaximal weight to or near muscular failure this is typically for lack of a better term we're going to think bodybuilding here where we're trying to do an exercise with a uh, uh, submaximal weight, and we're going to rep it out. 
you know, we're trying to create a lot of stress on the muscle to elicit a hypertrophic response. We're trying to build uh, muscle most of the time when we're doing the repeated effort method. Technically, strength endurance exercises done for high rep. That's another form of the repeated effort method uh, with a different goal than hypertrophy. But basically, in a nutshell, the repeated effort method is the lifting of submaximal weights to or near muscular failure. He talks about a fourth method, which he refers to as the submaximal effort method, which is basically the lifting of submaximal weights uh, without going or or approaching going to or approaching failure. Uh, it's a little bit different than the dynamic effort method in that he does not talk about rate of force production. Although I personally believe that anytime you're lifting a weight, we should be focused on creating as much force as possible, unless we're purposely using a slower tempo as part of a, uh, a repetition exercise, or we're trying to induce hypertrophy or trying to create more uh, time under tension of the muscle. But for the most part, when we're doing the bigger complex movements, uh, compound movements like, like squats and, and deadlifts and, and bench press. If we're trying to get stronger, we should be focused on in, by creating as much force as possible, whether we're using the maximal effort method or the dynamic effort method. So those are the methods that Zatsiorski talks about as far as ways to develop or create muscular tension. And if you look at, you know, I said a minute ago, I want to talk about programs. If you look at the idea of programs, I, I kind of think programs on one hand are, are a waste of time. That there's, that's really what a program is, is a predetermined template of exercises that you're going to do uh, w without really much regard to you as an individual. Now, to the beginner just starting out, most programs are going to work. I mean, if the program focuses on covering all variables of progressive overload, utilizing balance through making sure that you're, you're working all opposing muscles, uh, that it's not just overdeveloping one area of the body or one muscle group of the body. I mean, if it's a well-balanced program that focuses on progressive overload, you're going to get stronger. You're going to build muscle, but there's going to come a time where you need to take charge of your training and do the things that are going to benefit you. Now, if you look at any program out there, it is going to be, utilize one or all of the components that we just talked about, the max effort, dynamic effort, or repeated effort methods. Uh, so really programs are just a variation on a theme. It's a way of slicing and dicing exercises to make them a little bit more attractive or, or something to, to get some interest to sell a book or whatnot. And again, I'm not saying that they're, they're all bad and the more of a beginner that somebody is, probably the better they're going to respond to a just, just generic or just general program. But there is going to be a point where you're going to have to learn to train yourself and you're going to have to take uh, responsibility for your programming or hire a trainer or a coach that can help you do that based on your goals. Um, there, <laughs> there are some different circumstances where somebody may need to focus a little bit more on one method or a little bit more on another. Uh, for instance, an athlete is going to utilize probably more maximal effort, dynamic effort work, uh, than the general strength enthusiast, uh, somebody who has a really low training age or a beginner, 
they're not going to need to worry about dynamic effort lifts. They're not going to need to worry about advanced techniques such as utilizing accommodating resistance and, and you know, high velocity movements and things like that. You're talking about somebody there who just needs to get strong. So to somebody who's just starting out or somebody who's just in pursuit of general uh, strength development, most people are going to do fine by, by focusing on the submaximal effort method and the repeated effort method, just trying to build muscle and get stronger. And you don't need to make it much more complete, much, much more complicated than that. Like I said a minute ago, athletes may require different uh, different components of their programming, but they're also going to have more time to train. They're also going to be able to train more frequently. They're also going to be focused more on restoration and then their ability to, to handle the training volume and the load. So they're in a different scenario, which goes back to what I said at the beginning. You know, when you're trying to d- define strength, you need to determine what it is you're trying to accomplish uh, and and who you are. Uh, are you an athlete? Are you just trying to get a little bit stronger? You're trying to build muscle. You need to be very, very clear on that because the goal should dictate the programming. Now let's move on to uh, exercises here. Uh, Exercises are important because this is what allows us to build and to display strength. And you need to make sure that you're implementing the correct exercises for your goals. Um, If you focus on certain movements to the neglect of others, you can create muscular imbalances in the body, which can contribute to poor posture um, and to lead that that could potentially lead to problems down the road. So I think it's really important when you're building your program or if you're thinking about adopting a program to make sure that it covers the basic movements. And I consider the basic movements to be a series of six uh, movement patterns or, or exercises. And those those are a squat pattern lift a hip hinge pattern lift. If you think of like a squat pattern lift would obviously be a squat. It could also be like a, a leg press or excuse me, or a single leg squat or a movement like that, that, that utilizes both uh, movement at the, uh, the hip, the knee and the ankle. Whereas a hip hinge lift would be more like a deadlift where you're focusing more on the hip extension uh, aspect of the lift. So those would be things like deadlifts, Romanian deadlifts, good mornings, just things that utilize a hip hinge or a, or a hip flexion and extension type of movement. So the first two movement patterns are a squat, a hip hinge. The third movement pattern would be a horizontal push. That'd be pushing in the horizontal plane. Think bench press or push up. Then you've got horizontal pulling. That would be an exercise that is uh, some sort of row variation. Then you have vertical pushing. Think of like an overhead press, like a a standing barbell military press or a kettlebell press overhead, and then vertical pulling. And those would be exercises like pull-ups, chin-ups, or lat pull-downs where you're pulling in a vertical plane. So I consider those to be the six basic movement patterns. And you want to make sure that your program develops strength through all of them. In addition to those six basic patterns, movement patterns, we also have, uh, I also like to talk about torso strength, lower back strength. Uh, that would be exercises for the torso musculature, the, the rectus abdominis, the obliques, the lower back, you know, the spinal erectors, uh, just basically, uh, for lack of a better term, core exercises. I know core is the, the buzzword that everybody utilizes nowadays, but uh, it's basically torso work. We're working the front, back, and sides of the torso, which encompasses a few different motions. You've got rotation, you've got lateral flexion, you've got torso flexion, and you've got torso extension. And then you also have stabilization or anti-rotation. So all of those need to be addressed when you're training your, your, the muscles of your torso. You can't get away with just doing crunches or sit-ups. It's not going to work out well for you. 
And then we also look at if we want to get to some of the smaller muscle groups, we've got arm flexion and arm extension. We've got knee flexion, knee extension. We've got ankle, you know, plantar flexion, dorsiflexion, eversion, and inversion. And I don't think it's necessary to train all those small movements, but for a bodybuilder or somebody who's identified a weak link in one of the bigger movements, it may be important to work in some isolation single joint movements to build up muscle or to strengthen up weak points. So if we look at exercises, we have to define what the basic movement patterns are first, and then we can select exercises that fit those bills. Uh, like I said, squatting would be some sort of squat, leg press, single leg squat, hip hinge would be some sort of deadlift, Romanian deadlift, stiff-legged deadlift, good morning, you know, even a back extension type of exercise would fit the bill there. Horizontal pushing is any sort of bench pressing with barbells, dumbbells, push-ups. You're just basically pressing through the horizontal plane. Horizontal pulling would be any variation of the row. It would be a seated cable row, a machine row, a one-arm dumbbell row, a chest-supported row, uh, bent-over barbell row. Vertical pushing, that would be things like military presses, shoulder presses, any pressing overhead. Vertical pulling would be any sort of pull through the vertical plane, chin-ups, pull-ups, lat pull-downs. And then again, we've got the exercises for the torso, like lower back extensions, reverse hyperextensions, uh, kettlebell swings even. We've got uh, all the abdominal exercises, all the stabilization exercises like, like planks or bridges, side planks or bridges, rotational abdominal exercises, anti-rotation static abdominal exercises. Think of core statics or cable wood choppers, you know, things that utilize the oblique side bends and things like that. And then you have uh, the smaller single joint uh, single joint exercises. And those would be things like your bicep curls, your, your, uh, tricep extensions, uh, it'd be, you know, even forearm extensions, forearm flexions. If you're training your, your forearms, you got your, your quad, your knee extensions, you've got your hamstrings, your knee flexions, then you got your calf and tibialis anterior exercises for ankle plantar flexion and dorsiflexion. So again, it can get as small as small down the chain as you want it to, but it, it all must be built from those six basic compound multi-joint exercises. When you're getting into uh, selecting your exercises, uh, I think technique is the first thing that needs to be addressed. You need to develop sound technique before you even think about increasing the load. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is just when I'm assessing somebody, one of my favorite assessment tools is to have them do a bodyweight squat. If somebody can do a bodyweight squat in good form where they can go all the way, hips down to the ankles, their feet are flat on the ground, they're not rolling up on the balls of the feet, their, their feet are not pronating, uh, the knees aren't going way out over the toes so that they're rolling up on the balls of the feet. If they can keep their foot firmly on the ground, their heel planted and sit all the way down into a full squat where their hamstring is resting on the calf with their chest upright so that they're not bent way over their back in good alignment, that's going to display excellent ankle, knee, and hip mobility. It's going to display some really good, uh, mechanics. It's going to demonstrate some really good body control. If they can do that, they've got a pretty good range of motion and then they're ready for some loading for the lower body. I also like to use other body weight exercises like push-ups, uh, body weight rows, you know, things like inverted rows and things like that, just to make sure that somebody can move their own body weight before they begin lifting barbells. But uh, technique is first and foremost the what you have to have in place. So if you're working with a coach, you're working with a trainer, they should not be progressing to heavy loads until you demonstrate excellent technique with body weight or very lightweight exercises. 
If your technique's bad and you start to get strong with bad technique, you're just going to reinforce those bad movement patterns and it could eventually lead to an exercise or uh, accelerated wear and tear on the body, particularly the joints. So first and foremost, you must develop good technique in the exercises and always work to keep that technique uh, from breaking down. I think it is possible to get a little bit overly focused on technique. I mean, uh, once you can do the movement exercise, uh, once you can do the movement or the exercise correctly, you know, you can only do it wrong from that point. So don't get too bent out of shape about, about technique. I mean, once you've got the good basic mechanics and you know how to stabilize a load, you're going to be fine. But you know, that being said, don't let your technique go by the wayside either. Always work to maintain good technique. Uh, after that, you can begin increasing the load, but I still think it's really important that you focus on the basics. Um, <clears throat> Focus on the, the, the squat, the push, the pull, the big compound movements and getting those strong uh, over time. That's how you're going to make the biggest gains in strength. You know, just adding a little bit of weight to, to those compound exercises and progressing over time. Uh, <clears throat> many of my athletes or, or many just athletes in general, they're going to use more advanced methods of training, but they're, they're going to have the ability to... Uh, do more because they're focused more on recovery. They've got more free time. Uh, their nutrition's dialed in. They're devoting more of their time to getting better at athletics. For the general strength enthusiast or general fitness enthusiast who's operating on uh, uh, much less training frequency, or they're operating on a schedule that doesn't allow for a greater training frequency, they might be only might only be able to get to the gym a few times a week, they're going to have different needs. So if you just focus on getting the basic stuff in and done, that's where the bulk of your progress is going to come from. So let's kind of put high level athletics to the side and let's just think about, <clears throat> let's think about the, the general uh, strength enthusiast or the general seeker of strength and what they're trying to accomplish. Most people just want to get stronger and they want to build up some muscle so that they look better, so that, that they're, they're better able to function. They've got, they've got more energy for activities that they're trying to do, or they might just be gym rats and their, you know, their, their activities to go to the gym and, and lift weights and get stronger and get in better condition. For most people, focusing on the submaximal effort method, where you're lifting relatively heavy loads, but, but it's, it's still it's still submaximal loads, but relatively heavy loads with excellent technique, not approaching failure, that's going to be the the bulk of where your progress is going to lie. So if we think about that, the range that you're going to be working in is generally going to be somewhere around seventy-five to eighty-five percent of a one rep max. What that range allows for is the weight to be heavy enough to stimulate strength development, to, to, to stimulate, you know, that the nervous system response to the exercise without having to do, you know, the, the maximal effort lifts all the time, but it's going to be light enough that your technique should never break down. If you're lifting loads in the 75 to 85% range, you should be able to display perfect technique, every single rep of every single set. And that's why the bulk of most people's strength training occurs right around 80% of their max. Uh, 75 to 85% is a good range because it allows some variation in the load. So you're not lifting the same weights all the time, but that is going to be the sweet spot for developing strength gains. And really about 80% of your training time should be spent in that training range. Uh, something as simple as saying, 
three to five sets of three to five reps at 75 to 85%, you can really get a lot out of that. It doesn't need to be much more complicated than that. That's going to give you a total volume of between nine and 25 reps. Uh, and it gives you a lot of ability to, to work there as far as constructing your sets and your reps goes. So three to five sets of three to five reps at about 75 to 85% of your one rep max. If you spend the bulk of your time there, you're going to be able to ride that out for a long time and get stronger by progressively adding weight to the bar as you dial in those movements. You can also introduce repeated effort, the repeated effort method through single joint movements, and that can be used to assist your uh, submaximal effort lifts. The repeated effort method is great for things like tricep extensions, for bicep curls, for lower back extensions, for torso work, you know, for hamstring work, for bringing strength to the other areas of the body to support the big exercises. Now you'll be able to ride those big exercises out for a while, but there's, there's eventually going to come a time where your strength is going to be inhibited. And it's not going to be because the movement's not perfect. It's not going to be because you, you, you've cashed in that movement, so to speak, but you're going to have to strengthen up one of the smaller links in the chain. Okay. So if you take a bench press, for example, there's going to be a point where you're making progress, you're making progress, then you might be having issues locking out the weight. Well, lockout issue generally indicates a weak, weak tricep muscles. So you might want to go back and focus some movements on the triceps, doing some, some extensions, some pushdowns, you know, some closed grip presses, just things that will really focus on bringing up strength in the triceps to get your bench press moving. In the squat or the deadlift, your lower back may become a limiting factor. Then you're going to have to do a lot of uh, repetition effort exercises for the lower back, things like reverse hypers, things like good mornings, things like... Uh, back extensions, kettlebell swings, you know, finding exercises that are going to strengthen up that weak link. Then eventually that lower back is going to get stronger and that's going to get your squat and your deadlift moving again. Your triceps are going to get stronger. It's going to get your bench moving again. Then eventually it might be another weakness. It might be a shoulder. It might be uh, weak abdominal muscles. It might be weak hamstrings. But you're going to have to find out and, and, and learn that when an, or, or have your coach or trainer point out when an exercise breaks down or where it's breaking down why it is and what you need to do to get that exercise moving again. But that, you know, that's a little down the road. If you're just starting out, you're going to be able to make progress on just the big basic compound movements and, and, you know, working in that 75 to 85% range. Uh, so if we think about what equipment you need to have access to, to do this, it's really not much, you know, I mean, you can get away with having a power rack with a pull-up bar, a barbell, a bench and plates. And then maybe if you add in some, if you have a, a, a pulling sled and some kettlebells, that's really all you need to accomplish whatever you're trying to accomplish through your strength training program. Now, other equipment can be beneficial. Obviously, I'm a big fan of things like dumbbells. I'm a big fan of the reverse hyper extension, back extension machines, you know, the lap machines, the, the pulley machines, the glute ham rays. There's a bunch of other pieces of equipment that can give you a lot more variety in your training, but the bulk of your, your working out, if you're training for strength should be done with the power rack, the barbell, a pull-up bar, a bench, and you know, just having the, uh, the right amount of weight plates that you need to keep your exercises progressing. That's really, that's really should be the cornerstone of any, any gym or, or any home, home gym or weight room. Cause the, like I said, the bulk of your work can be done on that basic equipment. All right. So, uh, let's move on a little bit here. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about sets and reps. 
Sets and reps are important because these are the variables that you're going to utilize in building your program. But basically, if we think sort of a, a repetition continuum here and, and the result of utilizing various numbers of repetitions, if we think at one end, we have one rep. And then at the other hand, at the other end, we have like 20, 20 or greater repetitions. How does the repetition range that we select, how, how does that work with our goals? So generally speaking, if we're using, and now, now keep in mind, the appropriate loads have to be used here. When we're talking about one to three reps, we're talking about a load that only allows us to lift one to three repetitions. You know, if, if I program three reps with a load I could have lifted six times, I'm not going to get the strength response that I'm looking for with a three rep set. So you keep that in mind, the load is important. So when we talk about a one to three rep maximum, the load must be such that we can only do one to three reps with it. But when that's the case, one to three reps is the range where we're going to be focused on maximal strength development. So one to three rep sets with the appropriate load are going to give us the greatest gains in maximal strength. Then we go, well, so, some would even extend that. I'm, I'm going to change that. Let's say one to five reps, because uh, I, I think five is where you start getting, you know, bridging the gap between strength and hypertrophy. But let's just say one to five reps, because I know a lot of people push the five rep set for strength gains. And, and a lot of people have proven the five rep sets to be a great way to, uh, to build strength. So one to five reps is going to allow for the greatest increase in maximal strength. But the closer we get to those one rep maxes, then the more it's just focused solely on maximal strength. Somewhere around five or six reps up to about eight reps, we're going to get a nice blend of strength and hypertrophy. So now the muscle is going to be under tension long enough to start eliciting a hypertrophic response. So if you're trying to build muscle and build strength, that, that five rep up to about eight rep or six to eight rep range is going to be great for both. And that's typically when I, I've worked with bodybuilders in the past, I don't see them doing a lot of, of one to three reps or even five reps. Most of the work that I see bodybuilders do when they talk about their heavy sets, they're typically working like maybe four to six or, or six to eight, uh, with very, very heavy weights, uh, that they can, that they can accomplish that repetition range with. So again, that six to eight range or five to eight range is going to be a better blend of strength and hypertrophy. Then when we get from uh, eight up to about 12 reps, where again, when appropriate loads are being used, we're getting more of a hypertrophy response. So if we're just talking about muscle building, the eight to 12 range is going to be pretty much ideal. And then when we start looking at the, the 10 to 20 repetitions or greater range, we start moving away from hypertrophy and we start getting more into strength endurance or muscle endurance. So again, when appropriate loads being used, when we're at, at one to five reps, we're looking at maximal strength development. When we're at about six to eight reps, we start getting a good blend of strength and hypertrophy. When we're about eight to 12 reps, the focus is mainly on hypertrophy. And then when we get 10 to 20 reps or higher, we're talking about shifting more from hypertrophy to getting more towards strength or muscle endurance. So when we're talking about the repetition range, that's what we're talking about. Uh, it's a very important factor when it comes to determining your goals, because if we think about the relationship between volume and intensity, and this is where we bring sets into the uh, equation as well, we have to first define what intensity and what volume is because we hear these terms a lot in training and sometimes they get misused. The, defini the definition of intensity as it relates to weightlifting is a percentage of a load. Okay. So we're talking about a percentage of our one repetition max. So a high intensity program is not a program that requires you to grit your teeth and turn your ball cap on backwards. A high intensity program means that you're using 
a high percentage of a one repetition max. So generally when we refer to high intensity, we're referring to efforts at 90% or greater. Uh, so intensity is defined as a percentage of your one repetition max uh, uh, when we're talking about loading in weightlifting. Now, volume is the total tonnage being conducted in a workout, okay? So we, we arrive at our volume by figuring out our sets plus reps plus weight, all right? To give you an example, if I did a squat workout where I utilized 250 pounds for five sets of five, my total volume would be 6,250 pounds of work done, all right? So that's sets, reps, and weight all calculated together to, to get our volume. Now, if we look at the relationship between volume and intensity, it's, it's, it's an inverse relationship, all right? We cannot have high volume and high intensity simultaneously. The greater the intensity, the lower the volume. So if we look at, at typical repetition, like I said, if we're doing a maximal effort workout, our sets, the most we're going to be able to do is somewhere around two or three reps per set, right? Typically singles, doubles, or triples. Uh, we're not going to be able to do sets of 10, you know, sets of 15, sets of eight with 90% of a one repetition max. It just won't work. If you can do a set of eight, it's not 90% of your true one rep max. All right. And as the volume goes up, uh, you know, concurrently as the volume goes up, the intensity has to go down. So if we're going to be doing high repetition sets, we're not going to be able to use as great of amount of load on the bar as if we're doing, doing, uh, higher intensity sets, lower volume sets. So if we're going to do a set of like eight to 12, we may have 65, 70% on the bar. All right. And everybody's a little bit different, but it's generally speaking as intensity goes up, volume has to go down and vice versa. So that's how we figure out our sets and our reps when we're building our program. If we're trying to get stronger, like I said, a great rule of thumb is to utilize three to five sets of three to five reps with approximately 75 to 85% of a one repetition max. If you do that, like I said, you're going to be able to progress through that for a long period of time before you need to start looking at other, uh, maybe smaller joint exercises or be before you start discovering, you know, weak points and things like that. Uh, if we're trying to build muscle and we're doing sets in the, the eight to 12 repetition range, uh, we might, you know, do three or four sets. All right if we're doing strength endurance exercises and we're doing sets of uh, 20 to 30 reps or more, we might only do one or two sets. All right. So you have to look at the volume needed to accomplish your goal. As a general rule of thumb, I keep heavy efforts to no more than 10 per workout. Uh, four to 10 reps is usually where we see in, in, in that high percent range. Uh, we usually see at the lower end, about three or four reps at the higher end, about eight to 10 reps in those ranges per workout. So think about that. If we did, you know, three sets of three, that's nine reps. Uh, we might be able to get away with 85, maybe close to 90% for three sets of three depends on the individual. Uh, we might do five sets of two. Uh, we might be able to get away, you know, at, at around that 90% range doing that. Uh, that's 10 working reps or even, even, you know, three sets of two, six working reps. You, you can slice this up in, in a way that you need to, you know, to get your, get your sets and reps in. But generally speaking, four to 10 reps is usually what we see for the heavier intensities. Uh, then that volume can get greater and greater as you get lighter and lighter. As far as the intensity goes, uh, we often see maybe, uh, on accessory exercises in my gym, 
maybe 50 to 100 reps total, depending on the exercise. I know that sounds like a lot of reps, but I mean, if you think about it, five sets of 10 to 12 is 50 to 60 reps, puts you in the range right there. Uh, so we're going to see that more on our accessory work. So if I did, if we did a bench workout and we might do, you know, three sets of three with around 85 or 90%, if that's more of a strength exercise, you might follow that up with some tricep work. If say triceps are a weak link and you might do five sets of 10 to 12 uh, tricep extensions or something like that to support the, the primary movement. So again, a general rule of thumb is for, for the, the more compound lifts where the higher intensities are being utilized, squats, benches, deadlifts, presses, three to five sets of three to five reps for your strength exercise. And then on the, uh, on the accessory movements, total volume is usually somewhere between 50 and 100 reps. And, and those are the exercises that we're trying to build muscle mass. We're trying to use to strengthen weak points and such. All right. Um, accessory exercises are also a great way to increase the volume. You know, like we talked about before, you know, in order to get stronger, you have to do more and more work. You know, uh, so that's something to keep in mind. You can't do, can't always do greater and greater volumes with a squat or a deadlift. But you can push movements like tricep extensions, like lower back extensions, like reverse hypers, kettlebell swings. You can push a huge amount of volume on those exercises because those single joint, smaller movements tend to recover a lot faster uh, than doing heavy squats and heavy deadlifts. So that's something to keep in mind that a great way to manipulate your volume is through your accessory exercises. You don't need to just train the squats to get better at squats. You train the squat or a variation of the squat but if you push up movements that strengthen up the hamstrings, the glutes, the lower back, the abs, and you do a ton of volume for the, the, the muscles that are utilized during the squat, that's going to have direct carryover and make your squat stronger. So when you do that in conjunction with training the squat, you're really covering it from both, uh, both, both ends there. So you want to use your exercises to help build your volume and to strengthen weak points and to build muscle where you need it. Now, I, I think one of the... Uh, one of the important, one of the important things to talk about is, is recovery. You can only progress from an exercise if it, or a workout, if you can recover from it, if you're constantly running yourself into the ground and you're never giving your body the ability to recover and adapt, you're never going to get stronger. And eventually you're going to lead over training. You're going to be sore all the time. Your strength's going to go down and you'll probably end up getting hurt. So it's really important to, uh, to recognize the signs of overtraining, if you're feeling lethargic, if you're not feeling well recovered, if you're getting sick easily, uh, if you're just feeling like you're kind of in a, in a bit of a head funk or something like that, you, you may be overtrained. I think on the other side of the coin there, though, some people get too paranoid about overtraining and they're afraid to really push themselves in the gym, but it doesn't mean you should take overtraining or the potential overtrain lightly. You really do need to be aware of the signs. And that's why some people even plan in back off weeks, like about every three or four weeks, somebody might take kind of a deload week or a back off week just to make sure that they're creating the uh, opportunity for their body to recover from the heavier workouts. But like I said a minute ago, you can, you're only going to get better if you can recover from it. Now, that being said, the body will adapt to the demands placed on it. So you can train your body over time to tolerate a high workload. And that's, we see that with high level athletes. They're, they're some of the most additive, uh, organisms on the planet. I, I've seen some really high level athletes that you can work them really, really, really hard and they can come back for a second workout or come back the next day and they're fresh and they're ready to go. Whereas a workout like that for, for somebody just starting out just, just might wreck them for a week or longer. So you have to train the body to tolerate higher loads 
uh, or higher volumes, but in order to get stronger, you're going to have to do more work over time. So that is one thing that we're trying to do through our strength training program is to, to increase our volume and our intensities over time. Those constantly have to go up if we're going to get stronger. So if you find yourself progressing in strength and then eventually you hit a plateau or you hit a wall or you start going backwards, look at your, you know, it's really important to keep a training log. Look at your training log and look at your volume. Maybe you're backing off on your accessory work. You're not pushing that hard. You know, maybe you're not using the appropriate loads on your compound exercises. It's really important to keep track of your training volume on your main list and your accessory list just to make sure that you're not going backwards because there is a point that if you're not doing the same amount of work, you're not going to maintain your strength. And if you're not doing more work, you're certainly not going to build your strength. So if your volume's going back on your accessory work or, or you're not pushing that main exercise hard enough, you, you, you're going to get weaker. So it's really important to keep recovery and, and adaptation in mind. Uh, now, you know, this does look different for different people. Uh, if we compare an athlete to uh, uh, strength enthusiasts, like we talked about a minute ago, athletes are going to have, they're going to be in better condition uh, because they've been training for sport for maybe a, a long period of time. So they're going to have a good general physical base developed. They're going to be able to tolerate more frequent sessions. The more frequently you can recover and train, the stronger you're going to get. That's why anabolics work. They, they allow us to recover. Uh, they, they allow uh, for uh, the, the body to recover from, from heavy strength training, allows them to train more frequently. Uh, it, it's just, it's, 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 a, it's a form of restoration, all right? Uh, we can take advantage of other forms of restoration, which we'll talk about in a minute, but a better trained individual is going to be able to recover better and they're going to be able to, or a better conditioned individual is going to be able to recover better and they're going to be able to perform more frequent sessions. Again, the more frequently you can train, the stronger that you're going to get. And it's going to be able to tolerate higher volumes of work. An athlete also generally has uh, the ability to set up optimal recovery. They're going to have more free time. They might be able to take naps during the day. They're going to make sure they're getting good, you know, eight, eight, maybe nine hours of sleep at night, they're going to be able to create an environment where they can focus on the recovery because their only purpose is to train and compete in their sport. Now, for somebody who's just kind of a, a strength enthusiast, or they're just going to the gym, they're just trying to get stronger, they might be working a, a full-time job, they might be doing shift work, they might have a family, they might have kids they have to take care of, they might have other things that they, they have to be involved in that don't allow them to get to the gym all the time, and it might affect their ability to recover. So all that has to be taken into consideration when you're developing your training program. If you're somebody who has a very, very busy lifestyle, you might not be able to train four or five days a week. You might only be able to get one or two really good quality strength workouts in a week. And any more than that might prevent your ability to recover. So all these factors need to be taken into consideration when you're developing your program or you're working with your trainer, or your coach to develop your program. Uh, we talked a lot about, uh, training frequency or, or a little bit about training frequency. We talked about, you know, restoration and recovery. Let's talk a little bit more about the training frequency. This is very individual specific. Okay. You know, I just mentioned a minute ago where an athlete is typically going to be able to train more frequently than a, a general strength enthusiast who's got more commitments, uh, because of their lifestyle. But let's look at some popular training fre frequencies. We hear a lot about more frequent training where people are doing like, you know, the squat every day program or something like that, where they're training a lift more frequently. And then you also hear, you know, training a lift one time a week and everything in between. So if we look at some of the classic training splits, 
Uh, three times a week is a really popular way to train for a beginner. It's often recommended to do three full body workouts a week, uh, because you don't need a ton of exercise volume at this point in time. You don't need to do a bunch of different exercises. You just need to focus on the basics in a program where you're just squatting, benching, doing some sort of pull, uh, hitting, hitting your, your torso three times a week is going to give you a lot of benefits. Um, Typically, you see a three-time-a-week program built around one day squatting, one day benching, and one day deadlifting, and accessory work might be plugged in for uh, uh, the squat uh, to to build the squat, so you might do other leg exercises on the squat day. On the bench day, you're going to do maybe some upper body pushing exercises. Maybe you're going to hit your triceps and shoulders, and then on the deadlift day, you're going to do upper body pulling exercises, maybe hit your biceps, your back, your upper back, and things like that. So that's another variation of a three-day split that gets away from the full body uh, full body plan. So full body plan, you'd be doing legs, upper body pushing and upper body pulling every single training session. You'd be doing that three times a week. But if we split that up to one day, focus on the squat, one day, focus on the push, one day, focus on the pull, then it allows you the ability to incorporate more accessory work. So those are two variations of a, a three day split or, or training three times a week, four times a week is another popular split where you're doing a or, or training frequency rather, where you're doing an upper lower split, which means you're training your upper body twice a week, you're training your lower body twice a week. You see that a lot. Like, uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, uh, Louis Simmons and Westside Barbell, and that is basically their template. They, uh, they do two workouts a week for the, the squat and the deadlift, and they do two workouts a week for the bench press. So on their squat deadlift day, they're only focusing on exercises that build the squat and the deadlift on the bench press day. They're focusing on exercises that build the bench press. One of the days is devoted to maximal effort lifting. The other day is devoted to dynamic effort lifting. So that's how they split up the two upper body and lower body uh, workouts so that they got four main training workouts a week. And then they supplement those. They augment those with smaller workouts uh, where they're getting a little bit of extra work for, for weak points. They're, they're building up their work capacity and they're increasing their training volume by implementing smaller workouts throughout the week in addition to the four main exercises. But that's a very popular variation of the four-day training split Another popular variation is to build it around the squat, the bench press, the deadlift, and the press, where one day you're focused on squat and exercises that build the squat. Another day you're focused on the bench press and exercises that build the press. Another day you're focused on deadlift and exercises that build the deadlift. And then another day you're focused on the overhead press or the standing military press. And then you're using accessory exercises to build the press. So that's a very popular four-day split. And then you get into the five-day or, or greater splits where you train five, six days a week. And that's a little bit more, you, we see this a lot more with bodybuilders. Uh, they're able to break up the, the body parts even more specifically. A popular split for five days a week would be like maybe training your chest one day, your back one day, your legs one day, your shoulders one day, and your arms one day. And that allows you to do a tremendous amount of volume on those individual body parts but you typically need a lot of time to recover because you're doing such a high amount of work on chest day that you're going to need that full week for your chest muscles to recover. So that's why it's popular for them to, to move on to a different, if the, they blast their chest on Monday, maybe to move on to the back on Tuesday when they're allowing their, their chest muscles and their uh, triceps and the, the pressing muscles to recover. And then they hit their, their back, which is going to utilize all the pulling muscles. And then they move on and they hit the legs. So they still, they're still allowing, you know, for recovery for the upper body pushing and pulling muscles. And then you get to the smaller muscle groups, like the shoulders and the arms toward the end of the week, where 
your biceps are pretty well recovered, your triceps are pretty well recovered because those smaller muscle groups tend to recover a lot faster. So again, that's a popular variation for people who are more concerned with bodybuilding. Part of it is, you know, you have to find out what works for you as an individual. I've heard of people who've made fantastic strength gains only training one day a week. Literally one day they just squat, bench, and deadlift, and they push those exercises really hard, and then they do nothing the rest of the week. And they've they've made great progress like that. I've seen people that train five, six days a week. They make great progress because they've trained their body to adapt to more frequent training. So it's very individual specific, but you also have to factor in your lifestyle. This is huge. You know, we talked about recovering a minute ago. You've got to be able to recover from your training. So lifestyle factors are, you've got to pay attention to these. These are things like nutrition. These are things like sleep and rest. These are things like other activities that you're involved in, particularly physical activities and restoration. So if you're sleeping like crap, if your nutrition sucks, and if you're busy and on the go all the time, you're not going to create a good environment or the optimal environment for your body to recover from heavy training. So you've got to, got to focus on your lifestyle factors and you need to get those in check to make progress. Cause a lot of times people are training really hard and they're wondering why they're not making progress. A lot of it has to do with some of those external factors or those lifestyle factors. So you got to make sure you're getting good, consistent sleep every night. You've got to make sure your nutrition's dialed in and you're getting enough calories to support your activity. And if you're trying to build muscle, you're eating enough calorically to help uh, the anabolic processes in the body to get stronger and such to fuel your activity. So your nutrition's got to be dialed in. Your rest has to be dialed in. Uh, you got to make sure that if you're participating in other activities, that your training is reflected to accommodate that. You know, if you're, if you're playing uh, some sort of a recreational sport or you're participating in some sort of activity, like maybe you're in a mountain biking or rock climbing or hiking, anything that you do, you need to take that in consideration when you're building your programming in the gym. So the more active you are outside of the gym, you might not be able to tolerate higher training frequencies and higher training loads. You might only be able to train really hard a couple times a week because of these other external activities. Whereas if the gym's your only activity, you might be able to push yourself a little bit harder. So all those things must be taken into consideration when you're building your program. And I talk about restoration and I just, I, I need to mention it again because in order to progress, we need to recover. So uh, to finish up here, I just want to recap some of the tips and, and some of the things that we talked about. So some of the things that I want you to take away, if, if you're putting your program together, think about these things. Uh, some things that I've found to work for a lot of people are always start your program light. If you don't know what your strength levels are, or, or you don't know what a max is, and you're just starting a strength training program, the thing you don't want to do is go out and try to test your squat or a deadlift max to figure out your training volume. You're going to need to start light and focus on building your technique first and foremost. So start light and give yourself room to grow. You can start out with an easy set of five in the squat and add five or 10 pounds of workout every time you come back to the squat. And you'll probably make progress for, for a long period of time doing that before you even get close to maximal, uh, to maximal poundages. And in doing so, you're going to be using a light weight that you're still going to progress because you're increasing the training load workout to workout. But because the resistance is light, you're going to be developing and grooving really good mechanics provided you've, you learn how to squat properly. So always start light and give yourself room to grow. Track your volume and intensity. This is important. Track your intensity in the big lifts and how many lifts that you do and track your uh, volume in your accessory exercises. Because remember, if you hit the wall or you start to regress, I guarantee you that is probably because your volume 
has been reduced in some way. So you want to make sure that you're really pushing you're, you're, you're really pushing your volume up over time in order to get stronger. So keeping a workout log uh, is really critical in my opinion, if you want to make sure that you're making uh, progress in your strength and, and uh, uh, building muscle. If you're beat up, back off. All right. So maybe you got some crappy sleep this week, or, or maybe, uh, you just a little bit more run to the ground and your nutrition's off. You know, maybe the weights are just feeling heavy. If you're starting to feel run down, take a day off, maybe do some light exercises, maybe do some low intensity cardio, do some stretching, go take a yoga class, but do get out of the gym. Uh, there's no, you're not going to get any benefit from going heavy. If you're run down, if you're beat up. So there are times where you've, you've got to listen to your body and you got to back off a little bit in order to allow it to recover so that you can adapt and, and you can move on to greater loads. Uh, so like I said earlier, some people like to plan in some uh, specific recovery or back off weeks when they're doing their, uh, their training program that that's been beneficial. I've seen a lot of people make good progress where they train heavy over a three week period. And then in week four, they back off, uh, to give you an idea, they might push the volume and intensity up over, uh, weeks one, two, and three, where week three is their highest intensity and highest volume week. And then generally what they do is they just take about 60% of, week three and that's their that's their deload week so they they work up to about 60 percent intensity 60 percent volume of their heaviest week and then they start a new four-week cycle i've seen a lot of people make really really good progress on on that type of plan and that also ensures that you're uh taking that back off week and allowing your body the time that it needs to recover from the increase in training but on the flip side of that make sure you're training you know i think sometimes people get so focused on backing off and recovery stuff that they don't push hard in the gym and they start to get afraid to push hard i mean if you want to get stronger you've got to push the intensity and the volume over time but always done with good technique uh, and then restoration is critical. So I, I wanted to kind of finish this up with, uh, the restoration part because it's been kind of a theme throughout this, uh, podcast, but I'll say it again. You can only get stronger if your body's recovering from the training. So when I talk about recovery or restoration, I'm not talking about going out and doing a heavy squat workout and sitting on your butt the next day. What I'm talking about is finding ways to facilitate recovery. So there's a multitude of things that you can implement when it comes to recovery and restoration. You know, we talked about nutrition. We talked about sleep and rest. Those are two of the most important things that you can do to facilitate recovery. But other things that you can do are therapeutic means, things like uh, body work. That would be like massage, air tea therapy, you know, Graston. There's all kinds of different manual therapies out there that help to... Uh, help to get our tissue healthy and help to facilitate recovery. Uh, simply using things like heat and cold, hot and cold methods like contrast showers or hot baths, ice baths, uh, you know, hot or cold compresses, things like that have been shown to facilitate, uh, facilitate recovery. Things like stretching and mobility. These are often overlooked. Stretching is a great way to facilitate recovery. Mobility is a great way to maintain joint health. Um, extra workouts. This is, this is something that I found to be very beneficial. If you do a really, really heavy workout, one of the best things I think you can do is come in the next day and do a light workout for those muscles. So like if we did a really heavy bench press workout 
and the next day my triceps are fried, I might come into the gym and do some light tricep pushdowns. Nothing to failure, but just to promote a little bit of blood flow and circulation to the muscles that I hit really hard the day before. This facilitates recovery because it forces circulation through the area. It's much better than just sitting down on your butt, not being mobile, and just staying locked up for a day or two. So small workouts like that can be fantastic for facilitating recovery. Uh, you can do some light presses. You could do some light you know, upper body pulling exercises. If it's a lower body workout, you could do some light reverse hypers. You could do some light kettlebell swings. You could do some extra ab work. Uh, you could do some really light leg curls or something like that. There, there's things that you can do to really help facilitate uh, the recovery from the muscles that were utilized in the heavier workout. And I've had firsthand experience with that, that I have been able to uh, uh, recover well. My athletes have been recovered well, and it's been a very, very uh, welcome addition to our training here at, at my gym. So no, don't overlook the benefit of extra workouts. Uh, and last adopting a practice like meditation or yoga or some sort of practice like that can really help that focuses on breathing can really help to facilitate recovery and restoration as well. So I want to kind of wrap up this podcast by, uh, by just saying, I, I hope you enjoyed this, this kind of first in the series of the tenants that we're going to talk about, about strength and health. I know I talked a lot here about strength training, but hopefully it'll give you uh, the opportunity to sit down and evaluate what you're doing and see if there's anything that you may be lacking or, or, or maybe you picked up some tips today that will help uh, push your strength training into, uh, into a better direction. As always, you can email me at scott at eptsgym.com if you've got any questions or suggestions for future show topics. And until next time, stay strong and stay healthy.